0: Activism doesn't have to just look like one thing, it, it, it can be art, it can be uh, creative resistance, it um, it can be a social media base, do what you love um, to protect you know, what you love, essentially. Mm.
1: I'm Mark Young, author of three new books about whales for younger readers. For babies, I've got a board book, Big Whales, Small World, that features amazing photos of whales from around the world. For younger readers, I've got a picture book, Orcas of the Sailor Sea, featuring lots of pictures of Orcas of the Sailor Sea. And for middle school readers, and anyone else who cares about whales, Orcas Everywhere. Welcome to Scanna, a podcast about oceans, ecoethics, and the environment for fans of fact-based reality and reality-based facts. When I was working on Orcas Everywhere, I really wanted to inspire young readers by sharing stories of some of the young eco-heroes fighting for our planet. One of those heroes is Takaya Blaney of the Slyman Nation. Now 19, Takaya released her first protest song, Shallow Waters, when she was 10. She has given multiple speeches to the United Nations and other major organizations around the world. She starred as an activist in the 2017 movie Kayak to Clem 2, a beautiful film directed by Zoe Hopkins who we interviewed for Scana a few years ago. And Takaya won a Leo Award for Best Actress for her performance in Kayak to Clem 2. I finally got a chance to a phone interview with her late last year, as I'd hoped she was an inspiration. Then. Just after our interview, where she talked about the importance of activism, Takaya started making international headlines as one of the spokespeople for the young people who shut down the British Columbia legislature to protest the coastal gas link pipeline and the treatment of Wet'suwet'en leaders. And I thought, now's the time to run our interview with Takaya, and we were set to go, and then the world stopped. So we're sharing this interview now for Canada's Indigenous History Month. As always, Scana is brought to you by our amazing and essential pod at patreon.com, including Chantelle Shawnee-Surrette, Susie Venuda, Simon McNair, Darren Laren young Robert Anderson, Nancy Campbell, Joseph Planta, host of one of Canada's most essential interview podcasts, Planta on the Line, Eagle Wing, and Joseph Wask. If you like what we're doing and want to hear more about oceans, ecoethics, and the environment, Please join our Patreon pod. Even a dollar a month is a huge help because the more subscribers we've got, the more our Patreon campaign is featured, and the more sponsors we get. Right now, all our Patreon funding is going towards hiring some amazing students from the University of Victoria to help us produce this podcast and our upcoming documentary on the past, present, and future of the Southern Resident Orcas. Also, Please subscribe so you don't miss our upcoming episodes with ecoheroes like Daniel Polly, Peter Valiben, and Autumn Pelche. Scan is also brought to you by Orca Publishing, the publisher of my three new books. You can find out more about the books, the eBooks, the audio versions at orcaseverywhere.com. And all of my books are available at your local bookstore. Please, please, please support your local bookstore during these crazy times. And now to Kaya Blaney on the power and importance of young people speaking up for climate justice. The
2: strong will make We're in a deep
1: it's so great to finally be doing this. I've been wanting to talk to you ever since seeing From Kayak to Clem 2. I got to introduce the movie at the Victoria Film Festival and introduce and meet Zoe, and it was a really cool movie. And that's how I got to know about your acting and your music and your activism, pretty inspiring work. So can you talk to me about how you got involved with that?
0: Yeah, I grew up around elders and and relatives in, in my family who made an effort to instill this Cultural sense of, of value and, and what is sacred with our our waters and our land. Um, so, the the work I've done in regards to land defense and advocacy and activism uh, has really been a result of them ensuring that I I had a sense of responsibility towards not just my territory, but our but our climate and our earth and. Responsibility to future generations.
1: Can you talk a bit more about how and why you became politically active? Because it really is so impressive to see just how young you were when you jumped into all this.
0: Well, I got involved with the fight against the Northern Gateway pipeline um, proposed by Enbridge, which was supposed to go from the Tart sands of Alberta to Kitimat, B.C. and my way of getting involved was to write a song about the future of the West Coast if there were to be an oil tanker spill, which is something that's very close to home as a Salish person um, whose community remains to be dependent on the health of our oceans. But uh, I am i feel grateful that I was in a position with my family where they encouraged me um, to be active and to speak up, and, and I felt empowered to do so. Um, but I also think that as an Indigenous youth, there's many aspects of our identity and security and survival that become politicized, that require us to take action in order to, to feel safe living in this world. And a, a big part of that is violence against environment, because as Indigenous youth, we are really on the front lines of that when it comes to, um, you know, construction of uh, industrial projects. They often lead to violence in our communities and, and the, the effect that they have on the environment we feel when we, we can't subsist off of the land in the ways of our ancestors. So I, I see a lot of Indigenous youth rising up in this way and, and speaking about climate justice and speaking about the roles specifically of Indigenous sovereignty and and Uh, our our communities within that and I don't necessarily think that it's rare I think that it's um, becoming increasingly necessary for us to survive
1: Can you please talk about how the video for your song Shallow Waters happened I gather it came out of a school project. Can you talk about what grade you were in and how that happened because this is a podcast where I'm hoping young people and teachers are going to be listening and I think The story behind this is just really inspiring.
0: Yeah, so um, uh, my mom was actually recovering from brain surgery at the time. So she um, took that period of time to to homeschool me and I got to decide what I I wanted to, to study in terms of curriculum and what I was interested in. So... When I became informed about the, the Northern Gateway Pipeline, I, I wanted to explore that more through a school project, and that's what really sparked my sense of like interest and responsibility in, in, in regards to the, the threat, the threat of this project, and led me to, to show up at, at the rallies and to, to speak at the rallies and, and to further get involved with activism.
1: Is there anything you can tell me about how Shallow Waters was written?
0: Well, as I said, it was um, a song about the future of the West Coast if there were to be an oil spill. The result of the Northern Gateway Pipeline project and, and tanker uh, proposal. So for me, it was rooted in a very real sense of fear as a young person, as an indigenous young person, as to what the coasts that Uh, my ancestors have traveled and subsisted off of for thousands and thousands of years uh, would look like in the span of moments if there to be something as catastrophic as an oil spill.
1: Do you remember a particular moment that sparked you when you found out about Northern Gateway? Was there some aspect of it that really hit you hard? A speech? Something you read?
0: Well, as I said, it was elders. I grew up with people who tried to instill that sense of responsibility to land um, and to water and, and to future generations and so it's it was never like one moment or something that i read it was it was a um, lifetime of of community that led me to to care in that way about about environment
1: you must have had some really lovely support in terms of going out and speaking out as early as you did can you tell me about some of that support and some of the help you received when you started out?
0: I think that my family has always supported me throughout my activism. When I was young um, and, and traveling and, and bringing my story and bringing my truth to different places, uh, I would require my, my parents to travel with me, so they are my support system.
1: Has there ever been a book, a story, a movie, a work of art that has really sparked you or inspired you?
0: Hmm. can't can't think of one specifically.
1: Is there a particular person who inspires you?
0: I think that the people that I see in in communities, indigenous water protectors and land defenders who create occupations on the front lines of um, pipeline construction, um, mining construction. Um, to, you know, to put themselves up, to put themselves out there, and to assert their sovereignty, and um, really be in a vulnerable position with putting their bodies on, on front lines, um, like um, Kenneth Emanuel with the, the tiny house warriors, the Sponson Island occupation, um, the the watch house that protect the inlet um, on, on Burnaby Mountain that is um, protesting the uh, Kinder Morgan expansion project, Those, the people who have been on the ground, who've been running them, um, and, um, you know, putting themselves out there since day one, those are the people that inspire me.
1: Are you working with any particular environmental organizations?
0: Yeah, I have been working with Climate Action uh, Youth Ambassadors Canada and also with tribal parks uh, indigenous culturally conserved areas. So that is uh, working to conserve land through uh, indigenous community and through, through our traditional way of right relationship to land and using conservation as a way of asserting sovereignty.
1: Can you please tell me about the Native Children's Survival Fund?
0: Yeah, so... Um I did an intervention at the Indigenous Permanent or the Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues at the UN um, on behalf of the Native Children's Survival Fund and it was essentially asking the, the UN to view an Indigenous youth as a a specific area of of need. Because even in first world countries, the conditions on on reservation and indigenous community are lacking in inadequate uh, resources and supports, especially for indigenous youth. So you see uh, the repercussions of that being high rates of youth um, suicide and uh, cycles of trauma that are detrimental to indigenous youth. So that was what... I was, uh, addressing the permanent forum.
1: What was it like talking to the UN? How did you prepare for that? What was that ride like?
0: Yeah, I think that there's a lot of, you know, preparation that goes into presenting on a high level, especially coming from the position of someone primarily involved in Indigenous-led grassroots action um as as a young person growing up within those movement spaces being given the opportunity of presenting at at the un and presenting my truth and it was an interesting experience being able to also connect with you know a lot of indigenous people involved in climate justice and young people involved in climate justice all gathering in in a space and you know, demanding uh, demanding action. Um, that's always a very powerful thing. But I think that it's it's the work that that follows those meetings that is really the most crucial. You know, when we get when we get together and we're demanding justice for demanding action. Um, how do we carry that momentum forward? And 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 what are the actions to follow? That is the most crucial work for me.
1: Now I've read and seen a lot of interviews with you and you've spoken a lot about speaking up for those who can't. And in a lot of instances, young people are considered those who can't speak up. And yet you've spoken up beautifully. One thing I'm wondering, do you have any advice that might help other young people find their voice and find the courage to put themselves out there?
0: people's voices have such a powerful role in climate justice. Um, it's our generation that will witness and experience the repercussions of um, of industrial activity, of um, environmental desecration, of pollution um of climate change. So putting ourselves out there, speaking to our concerns and speaking for our future and our right to to live in a world with clean water and clean air and healthy lands. Uh, I think that's a really powerful thing that reminds older generations in positions of power where their responsibility lies, youth have, and youth voices have an incredible power to them. And so I would encourage young people who want to get involved in climate justice to, to speak up because um, your voices are so, so needed.
1: Do you ever have stage fright? Or do you have any advice for young people who are afraid of getting on a stage and speaking in front of 20 people, never mind thousands like you do?
0: would get nervous all the time and i still get nervous um for me though i was always told to just speak from the heart and um, what's needed to be said in that moment you know your truth is gonna is gonna come through in the way that it needs to and and to just yeah just speak from the heart
1: (laughs) do you remember the first time you saw a whale
0: um, I'm not sure what the first time actually was. It, it was probably on um, on the ferries uh, living on the west coast of uh, so-called British Columbia. We have a ferry system where sometimes uh, you can see whales, so I would say it was probably on BC ferries.
1: Any interesting memories of, of whales? My, I do a lot of stuff around orcas, so I'm always interested in...
0: Yeah, actually, I I was with an Indigenous youth program that was going to the Channel Islands, and the ferry over there, there was this huge pod of dolphins and three blue whales that we saw, uh, which was like a really powerful experience in blue whales.
1: What was that like? I'd just love to see a blue whale.
0: There was um, two adults and one baby, and I remember... The program I was with, uh, a lot of a lot of youth were at the front of the ferry and, and singing their uh, traditional like dolphin song, and that's when we started to see dolphins and the whales. And so it was like a combination of um, seeing the dolphins and whales and the power of that, and then also just the power of those songs coming through. It just made it a really magical experience.
1: There are a couple of really lovely lines in your songs that really pop for me. Generation Now and Ambassadors for the Future. Can you tell me a little bit about coming up with those?
0: Yeah, so when I was writing Earth Revolution, um, which is where that uh, line comes from, um, my my intention with that, with Generation Now, uh, was to express that this is really the last generation where we have an opportunity to to change our course, um, in in regards to um, destructive practices, uh, like environmentally destructive practices, before we we really hit a point of no return. But also for for this generation and for young people to be empowered to take action, um, because this is really the most important time for us to be speaking up and to be getting involved.
1: Fantastic. And do you have any advice for other young people who want to get involved with issues, who are afraid to, or who aren't sure how to go about putting themselves out there?
0: Well, for me, I, you know, I didn't do public speaking um, prior to, to getting involved uh, with environmental activism. Um, so my way of comfortably engaging with that issue and, and still feeling like I, I made an impact and um, could tell my story in a way that was approachable was through art and singing. Uh, I've always been very passionate about music, so I use that as a vehicle for my message. So I would encourage young people for you know, what whatever you are passionate about, to use that as, as a way of Sorry, for whatever you're passionate about, to incorporate that with, with your message, because activism doesn't have to just look like one thing. It, it, it can be art. It can be uh, creative resistance. It, um, it can be uh, social media-based, even, because that's a really um, accessible way of, of getting involved. So yeah, do what you love um, to protect you know, what you love, essentially. Thank you so much for doing this.
1: Thanks again for checking out Scana during these surreal times. Scana is produced in Saanich, BC, the traditional territories of the Wasanich, Songhees, and Esquimalt peoples. If you like what we're doing and want to help us share more stories about oceans, ethics, and the environment more often, please join Scanna's pod at patreon.com subscribe to the podcast and our newsletter, follow us on social media, share the show with your friends. Hey, share it with your enemies too. Everyone has plenty of time to listen these days. If this show doesn't work for you, I'm Dr. Phil and you've been listening to fill in the blanks. Seriously, fill in the blanks. This is what he came up with. He works with Oprah and that's when he came up, sorry. sorry. Scanna is produced by the always awesome Rain Banu, and this episode has been produced with audio engineering and editing from Izzy Almashi and Asia Radigan. We've also had all sorts of help behind the scenes from Maeve Milligan, Cole Flood Bellis, Kate Waring Oksanen, and Katie Brown. Scanna's theme, Scanna, is by Lee Abramson. Now, we really had to end off this episode with the haunting protest song Takaya Blaney wrote and performed when she was 10. This is shallow waters.
2: In shallow waters, I can't see it. your clear waves lapping at my feet. The lifeless so and Sha yeah. Let's see your clear